You're listening to The Marlowe Podcast. Each week, we bring on experts to help you navigate your career. This week, we brought on Andrea Maliska to share her insights on developing your first learning and development program. Andrea shares tips and tricks for how to get started on even the smallest budget. Ascribe to a methodology um, that, the, that your full team is going to use, whether it be you, you and one other person, you and seven people. You want to make sure you put something into place that is going to scale as your team grows. Hello, I'm Mary Fox, CEO of Marlowe, and I have with me today Andrea Maliska, and we are going to walk through how you can start building a learning and development program in your organization today. Um, do you want to go ahead and start by introducing yourself and telling us more about you? Thank you, Mary. Yep, my name is Andrea Maliska, and I am the founder of Rebel Learn. Rebel Learn is a learning and development um, consultancy, and I concentrate on building out strategy and um, program design for companies that need it. So um, I started the company back in October of 2017. Um, and so I've been doing it for about seven months now. And I bring in a lot of my background in product management and quality assurance when I'm building out learning and development programs. Um, I have been fortunate enough to be able to uh, build out three to four programs from scratch within a wide variety of industries, um, several different audience types. Um, and yeah, it's been great. I've learned a lot along the way and I'm excited to share it with you guys. Excellent. Well, why don't we start by you giving us an overview of what a learning and development program can even look like and um, walk us through your topic. And then from there, we'll take it to a question and answer at the end. Great. So we've already talked um, a little bit about my background. And the first thing I wanted to do was um, walk through a checklist that I've put together to try and make this a little bit easier when you are looking at building out a, a new program um, for your company. Um, so first, the, one of the biggest and most important things for you to do is really to understand the why behind learning and development in your company. Why is it that you're being asked to build a program? Why is this role being put into place? What was the impetus for this to happen in the first place? And then I think with that is also what does success look like for the stakeholders in their mind? Because these are the things that you want to make sure you have in place when you're kind of building out the program to make sure that you're successful and you're, you're going in the right direction. So always make sure that you understand the why behind what's happening. Next, you want to start small and targeted. You don't want to take on too much or bite off too much um, at first. A lot of times learning and development programs can shift and change and you know, become something different as you start working through things, talking to people and going through analysis. So starting off small and keeping it very simple to begin with um, is really important. Next, you want to make sure that you keep your tools light. So the last thing you want to do is go out on the first month you're you know, working on um, a new program and implement a huge LMS, spend a bunch of money and then realize it isn't what you needed. So keep your tools light. I do have um, several tools that are more learning engagement platforms that I suggest as far as um, keeping these tools light, engaging and something that your, your learners would like to, do, to interact with. Um, keeping it right on time, so this is this speaks more to making sure that your program is successful, is keeping that content simple and easily accessible by your learners. So whoever your audience is, it needs to be something that fits nicely into their life. You don't want them to have to um, 
you know, think about when they're going to go take a course or take a learning. You want it to easily fit into their life on their phone, on their laptop, when they're at an airport. So making sure that it's right on time um, is important. And lastly, and this is huge and what, something that I always do, first and foremost, go find your internal champions. They are going to help you be successful. They're going to help you create content. They're going to give you ideas. They're going to give you feedback. These internal champions are going to be your support group internally when you are rolling out programs uh, to the rest of the company. Next, I wanted to talk about some common mistakes that I've definitely made, um, all from experience, on you know, things to keep in mind when you are setting up your learning and development programs. First is not understanding the true objective. Again, what, was, what is the why behind this? If you don't know what that is, if you aren't bought in on it, if you don't have it solidified, especially with your stakeholders, um, you will get to the end of three, six months and you will have, not have, you will have missed the mark on, um, on this program. So you wanna make sure that that true objective and the impetus is something that you really understand and that your stakeholders understand and you guys have agreed to um, together, which kind of takes me to the next one is making sure that the stakeholders have um, are on board and are bought in. So when you have stakeholders that are not bought in, it does it slows down the process. Um, it can it can make you shift a lot when you're creating the content. Um, there have been several times that I've had a stakeholder that isn't necessarily bought in or wasn't at the beginning of the process, and. Um, you know, we had to shift and, and trying to turn around an L&D uh, program is, can be tough and it can be time consuming. Um, so making sure that from the beginning your stakeholders are on board is important. Make sure, again, and I'm gonna be saying this a lot throughout this, but make sure you're not going too big too quick. So again, starting small. Um, don't bite off more than you can chew in the beginning. Uh, I have been asked at times to come in and build entire universities and have it done within six months. And that just isn't um, realistic. And so at the very beginning, you need to make sure you're going small, have small wins, and that you're celebrating those, those wins and not trying to go too big too quick. Um, pushing L&D where there is no buy-in. So again, this kind of speaks to having those internal champions and making sure that you are building where you're wanted. So you don't wanna try and push this learning into an area that they're not seeing the value, that they don't feel like they need it or they don't have the pain points. As soon as you start building these programs for those internal champions, for the areas that really need and want it, it will catch on like wildfire and you will start to see those other departments um, or other customer bases that are gonna be asking for this. But make sure that you're kind of going where you're wanted to start um, so that you're not pushing it on, on other people. And the last thing, and this is going to happen in, in every company, um, it has happened in every company that I've worked for or client I've worked for, um, is making sure that, that L&D isn't being used to fix other issues. Um, a lot of times it can be say, seen as a Band-Aid, and um, that is always, uh, you know, something that can end up being kind of a disaster in some areas. So you want to make sure that when you sit down to talk through a program and you're talking to the stakeholders and the SMEs and you're working through the analysis phase of things that you're looking at, is this an issue with process or with communication or is this truly a training issue? If it isn't truly a training issue, then helping them kind of get there, setting expectations and then making sure that you say, all right, once this is all settled and kind of figured out, 
then let's build the training on top of it so that I can augment what you guys have already put together. So those are kind of my biggest common mistakes that I have definitely made in the past and learned from. Um, and now I wanna kind of go into um, you know, the budget part of things. I have been asked to build these programs and departments on a variety of different budgets, stemming from no budget at all, all the way up to you know, pretty large, robust budgets from the beginning. Um, but I would say that these things to keep in mind will, will be something you wanna keep in mind regardless of the budget you have, um, even though they really are speaking to people that have a low budget to start with. So first, biggest thing, use the resources already created internally. You most likely, I guarantee, have documentation, videos, onboarding plans, um, on other people's computers, in their brains, things that they've been doing um, without a training program. People have been creating stuff, so do the same. Make sure you're asking what resources already exist, what webinars have already been done, what lunch and learns have already taken place. Take all of the resources, gather that all up, compile it, and then you can repackage it in ways that um, you can put it out to an um, a employee base or a customer base. So using resources already there is free. It's already, there's no content development really in it. It's just repackaging the information. So it will be surprising, I bet, for you to see how much is really out there when you start asking. Um, recruiting subject matter experts is huge also. Um, having those SMEs internally to help provide content development, to do workshops for you, to put, put on a lunch and learn series or a webinar series. Um, again, free, it also is really great for them. They love to be experts in their field and they love to be able to sit up in front of their peers and show their, their skill set and their expertise. So um, it's kind of a win-win on both sides. The only thing it does take is a little bit of time, um, but I have put together some really great lunch and learn series, um, all content developed by SMEs. I've put it on and you know, kind of hosted it all and then they've gone and, and taken it. So um, really great and free way uh, to, to get content out there. Um, again, like I said, gonna say it every time, start, start small and targeted. This will help you build trust. Um, it's cheaper. <laughs> uh, it'll help you build trust. It'll also start to um, you know, put interest out there for individuals that didn't know that this is something that they even had access to. Um, you know, maybe you start with a sales team and you're doing um, a small sales training and somebody for marketing sees what you're doing. Uh, that's going to spark interest and that's going to build that ROI for you. Um, so you want to start small. Don't put a lot of money into platforms um, and, you know, just try and keep it targeted for those individuals. Number four, this is a big one. Again, something I am speaking purely from, you know, my experience is skip the LMS um, to start. Make sure that is exactly what you need. They are big, they're heavy, and they are, they take a long time to implement. So it takes a lot of manpower and time to implement. And the last thing you want to do is implement a huge platform and um, nobody use it. So keep it light with the tools. Um, again, I have a few tools. Uh, one being Conveyor, they are a really cool um, learning engagement platform. Uh, and then another one called um, JVSP. Both are very, you know, very big on user experience, making sure that things are very accessible from cell phones, laptops, tablets, um, very right on time. Gamification is completely built in. 
and they're not, you know, they're not on-prem learning management systems. So, um, and they also are, are you know, are, are very um, cost-effective. So those types of things can can provide a lot of meaningful impact for your clients and for your um, employees without being a very expensive. Um, and then the last uh, piece is making sure that you're keeping your learners engaged. So whether it be putting together something like a newsletter where you're on a monthly basis making sure that you're sending out learning tidbits, um, free videos, what are local events that are around that might be interesting to uh, your industry or certain areas, theming out months where you basically put together a theme and then articles, make sure your, your, your learners are constantly getting access to some type of learning, whether it be via a platform, a newsletter, those are all really good, cheap and easy ways to put learning out there and it gives them the ability to decide if they want to do it or not. I wanted to talk more about stakeholder buy-in. This is something that as a learning and development um, professional, you will have to get and you probably will have to do more than once. Um, so I you know, have compiled a list of things that I have learned from having to get stakeholder buy-in, but also having to get buy-in from boards, having to get buy-in from executive level um, uh, individuals. So the first one um, is keeping and creating a clear and simple plan that aligns to the strategy of the company. So this is really important in making sure that you can show the value of the program that you're putting together. So if you have a company that is looking at, in 2019, building out a, um, you know, trying to expand more on their sales program in a specific product, and they're going to be pushing a specific product. You want to make sure that you put together a training program that is onboarding or continuing education for the sales team around that product. So you can clearly show how you're valuable and how you're aligning to the strategy of the company. So make sure that that is something you do. If you're starting to put together training programs around things that aren't being, that aren't going to be pushed, that aren't going to be valuable to the company, then you're gonna lose their buying very, fairly quickly. Um, second, build a plan you believe in and you're passionate about. Uh, this is something, if you're not passionate about the program you're putting together, if you're not passionate about what you're doing on a daily basis, it's gonna show. And you're going to lose individuals buy-in. Um, even if they don't necessarily agree with your program or your plan, if they see the passion that you have and the fact that you believe in it so much, that goes a long way. So make sure that, you're, that, you're, that you believe in what you are doing and that you're passionate about it. The next one, education, education, education. This is huge. You're going to have to continually do it. Learning and development has typically been something that a lot of people don't have a lot of background in. They don't have a lot of understanding in. So continually educating your, um, your employee base, uh, the stakeholders, the management, the board, everybody on why you are here why you're important and why it, it why what you're doing is really valuable is is huge. Um, I used to do this often, especially with the CEO of one of my companies, where I would sit in a room with them and we talk through it, and I would constantly be telling him and showing him the value of what my team was bringing and what you know what, what the programs we were having, what they were going to bring, and why education um, and learning and development is so big in corporations right now. And the last one is show program wins and internal buy-in. So when you do have a win, a success, even if it's small, make, celebrate it and make sure everybody knows about it. You know, you're going to be your biggest, biggest marketer. You're not going to have other people typically coming and saying, you know, how great things are or 
putting that out there. So make sure that you're doing that for your team and that you're doing that for your programs. As soon as people start understanding the things that you're producing and how amazing they are, then they're going to start looking at it and wanting it as well. So celebrate those wins, speak about the wins and making, and make sure that people understand what, um, other employees and other, uh, departments are already bought into your programs and what you're doing. So let's talk about ROI. This one is difficult. Um, ROI with learning and development, it's not black and white. It's not something you can necessarily put your finger on. So it's always a little bit hard to measure this. But that being said, um, there are definite ways that you can go about doing it. And first and foremost, you cannot measure anything unless you have a baseline. So you want to make sure that you are setting your baseline before you implement a program, regardless of where it is. Um, that way you can show true progress and you can measure that progress. Next, again, keep the investment small to start. You don't, again, you don't want to go out and spend, you know, thousands, hundreds of, hundreds of thousands of dollars and then try and, and show the ROI against that. Start small, show that um, ROI to begin with, with that small win, and then you can start to build on that. So slow and steady, make sure that you're putting stuff out there. It doesn't have to be perfect, um, but keep it small to start. To start. Uh, select programs that are easy to measure. So there are specific programs that are much easier to measure than others. Sales is a good one. Um, sales, customer support. I built out a customer support onboarding program. Um, basically, customer support representatives would come and they'd go through a, the onboarding. And we were able to easily and very quickly show that we took the time to effectiveness and time on the phone from 90 days where a new customer support rep was um, feeling comfortable to 30 days. So right there, we were able to show um, the founders of the company the impact that training was making. Um, and we were able to do that within the first group of individuals that went through the training. So it only took 30 to 45 days to show that. Um, management is another good one. And then again, onboarding programs are always big. Um, right now, attrition a lot of attrition can be um, because of lack of learning opportunities, lack of development opportunities, um, lack of, of the ability to advance because of those things. So setting up some onboarding programs um, to make sure that you're keeping people from attriting in that first year, making sure that that first 90 days has a robust training program, um, that they are gaining the skills they need to be uh, successful in their roles, and you know, showing them that you care, that you value them as employees is huge. So onboarding programs always give a lot of value um, and can, you can easily show ROI on those. Um, remember next, in, uh, next that it's not always about the money. You have to be able to, as a learning development professional, quantify the non-monetary effects, whatever those might be for the program and the company that you're in. So you have time to effectiveness, Reduction in support hours. So if you are creating customer training on a product and they're not, they're no longer calling your support team on, you know, the beginner or basic stuff, that's something that you need to bring up because now your support team is really concentrating on the things that they were hired to do. Um, if you're increasing efficiencies and process, if you're reducing the attrition, um, that actually is a uh, direct correlation and can have direct impact on the bottom line because it is so expensive for um, attrition and to replace people over and over. So if you can minimize the, the um, percentage of attrition in your company, that's huge. And then of course, this one is 
definitely directly correlated to the bottom line, um, the number of deals closed for like a sales team. So these are all things, remember, quantify and try and quantify as much as you can to, to really tell that story of why what you're doing is so valuable. And lastly, and this is one thing that a lot of learning development programs don't do well or at all, is make sure you're evaluating your programs and getting feedback. Um, and you wanna be doing that all the time. So this data is key in making sure that you are continually making your programs better. If you put out a program and immediately you're not seeing that return on investment, get feedback, find out why, find out what is going on with the content or maybe the way that it's being put out there. Talk to the people that are taking your training and find out and then make the changes. Um, if you're not constantly evaluating and if you're just kind of setting it and forgetting it, it's going to become stale. People are going to stop taking it. And then you right there, you are not going to be able to show the value of it. Um, so I put together a few resources that have helped me in the past. I think first and foremost, methodology is a big one. Um, if you aren't familiar with Kirkpatrick's levels of evaluation, check it out, um, get to know it, understand the four levels and understand um, why you would use the different levels when you would. Um, again, evaluation is one of the biggest parts of you know, really good learning development design. And so you wanna make sure that you understand the different ways you can measure that. Ascribe to a methodology um, that, the, that your full team is gonna use, whether it be you, you and one other person, you and seven people. You wanna make sure you put something into place that is going to scale as your team grows. Um, so putting together a methodology, whether it be Addy, whether it be a, you know, an offshoot of Addy, whatever it is, make sure you have something that when you do have people come into your team, you can point to and say, this is how we do things. This is why we do things. It keeps things consistent and it gives a very good user experience when you start putting out content. And along with that is a clear process for development. So you want to make sure that you're developing content in a way that is, um, agile, um, doesn't take a lot of time but um, that gives a really good user experience. So everybody just needs to be on board with that. Um, some of the research that I have or the, the um, kind of articles that you can take a look at, if you haven't looked at Josh Burson um, by Deloitte, take a look at him and his um, articles and the, um, the tools and, and resources he has out there. If you just go to burson.com, you'll be able to find it. Um, he, creates and writes a lot of really good articles on where learning development is, where it's going, um, lots of really great tips, um, all backed by a lot of, of data that has been um, put together by Deloitte. Uh, my teams have always used in the past lynda.com or Udemy. Um, lynda.com is now LinkedIn Learning, but you know those are really inexpensive. Udemy has free um, training that you can access. Keep your learning and learning skills up as well. So you want to make sure that you're not forgetting about your own development and your team's development and that you guys are constantly pushing forward and understanding the things that can make you better. And then make sure you're connecting on LinkedIn. Go to learning groups, go to learning and development groups, connect with people that are in your same role, um, connect with chief learning officers, connect with um, you know, people in the HR industry, connect with as many people as you can because you can find a wealth of information and articles and blog posts and, and um, different discussions. Um, and then as far as tools go, so again, you want to kind of keep it light, but these are a couple tools that allow you to make really cool, um, assets without them being very expensive and without them being very technical. So if you don't have Camtasia and Snagit, get them. It's not expensive. 
um, super easy to use, and you can make really beautiful videos to put out there that your, that your employee base or customers will be really impressed with. Um, a webinar platform, most likely your company has one. If they don't, you can find free ones. Um, but definitely get a webinar platform if you decide to do webinars. And then a tool for project management. This is something that um, I always did once we were, you know, getting a lot of, of programs and projects going, but it gives a really good visibility to your team um, on what's happening and where things are, but it also gives really good visibility to your stakeholders on how much content you're creating, um, how long it takes you to create content, who your SMEs are, where you're having roadblocks. Um, I actually, uh, in my past role, used Smartsheet and uh, really cool product. And we were able to share that up to the CEO, the CFO, the CMO, whoever wanted it. So they could always see where we were with any project. Um, and we were able to kind of communicate with them so that we were able to, you know, put together reporting and stuff on that very easily, which might be one of your metrics, um, you know, how much content you're creating. So put something in place um, to kind of help you with that. So that is really my presentation and kind of what I wanted to put out there. But Mary, what questions um, are there for me? This is fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, let's, let's turn off your screen so we can see your face. Okay. Oh yeah. I'll, let me do a stop share. Awesome. Great. Okay. So this, that was fantastic. Thank you so good. much. Oh, good. I'm yeah. glad it went well. <laughs> so I, let, let's jump into some questions. I, I want to get a sense. So imagine that you're in a company of say 50 to a hundred team members. Let's start there. Um, and you're thinking we need some sort of consistency in the information that we're trying to communicate with our team members, whether that comes from like a sales training or a customer support training. Um, who are your stakeholders? I get, you know, that's the, the first question. You talked about stakeholders a little bit. Who are those stakeholders? Um, which types of stakeholders maybe get left off from time to time and maybe forgotten mm -hmm. about? Yeah. Um, and, and what are some common, you mentioned a few common mistakes that can happen there, but I'd love it if you could talk to like that specific team size or what might be their first roadblocks. Yeah. So um, finding stakeholders is always interesting. So obviously, um, the individual that is requesting the training is probably going to be one of your stakeholders. Um, so you want to keep your stakeholders to a limited number though, in my opinion, you have, if you get too many people that you're having to go to, um, to get, you know, uh, approval on things or to get feedback on that will slow down your project very quickly. So I typically like to keep stakeholders down to three. Um, you know, and then you can also have, so with the stakeholders, you can have, like I was talking about your SMEs, um, you can have, uh, you know, individuals that are maybe influencers, um, maybe individuals that will re will look at the content and give feedback, but the people that you're actually going to want to go to, to talk to about, um, am I on point? Did I get the right stuff going here? Um, you know, is this what you were looking for? That really should be three at the most. Um, and those individuals typically are going to be, um, let's take the sales organization, for instance. Um, at my past company, we were building out sales training and the stakeholder there was the VP of the sales org. Um, it was also though the COO because the COO had an entire group of individuals that also um, needed to understand and, and know about the, the sales training but it wasn't, he wasn't like a direct correlation to it. 
Um, and then it was one of the directors that was going to be kind of the decision maker. So we, um, it's sometimes it's easy to miss uh, stakeholders. We easily probably could have pulled in somebody from marketing um, on that one. So it, it's, it's kind of talking and what I typically do is with the individual that requests the training or the program or whatever it might be, is I'll kind of have that conversation with them is, who's gonna be the final decision point for me? Is it gonna be you, is it gonna be someone else? And as soon as I find that out, then I will talk to that individual and say, who else do you want to have as a decision maker on this project? And typically they're gonna say, let's just keep it to me or just me and one other person. So I like to try and put that back on those individuals um, to say, who do you want that person to be? That way, you know, they're a part of it um, and um, you know that you're getting what they want and you're kind of going to their expectation. Um, so that's kind of the stakeholder part. I would say one of the biggest mistakes you can make there is by bringing way too many people in. I have been in rooms where, you know, you have seven, eight people at the table and nobody is that in that size group, um, it's really hard to really come down to a decision on one thing. And so it just holds things up. So I think it's keeping it very small um, and then putting it out there. And the thing with a program that is so cool is once you put it out there, it's, it's not the end all be all. You can change it. So it's making sure that you do what, you know, kind of what you've been tasked to, keep agile with it, put it out there, get feedback, evaluation, and then come back to the table and go to the stakeholder and say, look, this is the feedback I'm getting. We kind of missed the mark or it's going amazing and then decide what to do from there. That's a really great point, which is, you know, as you roll this out, how do you communicate it to the people involved who are going to be using it? Mm -hmm. So, you know, either a small company or even a much larger organization, how do you get them to buy into it? So they might not be those initial stakeholders. Yeah. Um, what are some ideas there? Yeah, so some of the things we've done, email is not enough. Um, people don't look at their email. They filter their email through their brain. I mean, it's just easy to like not see things after you've been looking at email for a long time. So um, different things that we've done is, um, you know, launch. We've launched program release parties before. So in different, um, and, and these are in companies that have, that are globally dispersed. But if you can get a few um, different offices kind of putting these release parties out, it doesn't take much. It's, you know, go get some candy and some soda and, you know, get a, a room for the day put the um, training up on the big screen and invite people to come over and, and talk to you, have a fact sheet or job aid and talk to you about what it is you just put out. Um, you know, and then tell them like, we can do this for you too. We can, you know, we did this for the marketing team or we did this for the sales team. We can do this for you too. And, and just kind of spark. That's a, a really fun way to engage people. If you have money for swag, even better then you can kind of put stuff out there. You can have, you know, um, different types of, uh, door prizes or whatever. I mean, those are all things and you can keep it really cheap, but doing something like that is cool. We've done road, we've done road shows before. So um, again, this is with more of a budget, but you can actually go from, you know, different cities and talk to people um, or you can do that uh, virtually. So you can do a webinar series virtually that you put out to the entire company and, you know, kind of launch and release this and make a big deal out of it. Um, we also put up flyers in all the offices. Um, we put together a, 
a video that was kind of like a movie trailer that was, look what's coming. This is so exciting, you know? And so um, there are, are ways to do, I think, that kind of stuff. Um, if you do have a platform, you can push a lot of content through the platform and, um, you know, do notifications that way. I love the idea of doing like, roadshows even from a webinar standpoint and then of mm -hmm. course swag never hurts especially never hurts. you mentioned candy <laughs> and soda i feel like sugar but <laughs> attracts everybody um Amanda, you mentioned before you know if you're the hr team member or maybe you're specifically assigned to learning and development that you might be rolling this out for a variety of teams but imagine being if you're not in that space you've never done something like this but you know that your sales team is in desperate need of this and if you're going to get your sales team moving faster you need this information or maybe it's your um, customer support team like we mentioned or even your new engineers that are coming on board have you seen individual leaders of departments roll out a, an LMS or um, a learning development program across the board and if so how has that changed their strategy yeah so I have seen um, individual um, leaders definitely roll out training before. I wouldn't say that I've ever seen one roll out an LMS, but I have seen them roll out training programs before. Um, and it, it's, it's interesting because I've always seen it when they also have a learning development team in place. So it can be, it can be very confusing for the organization to understand what is happening and why. Um, but, um, I have seen a sales team actually roll out a um, training plan, a training program before on their own. Um, and it changed their strategy. I think th the interesting that thing that happened there is they, they gained a really amazing understanding for training and what it actually takes to do it. Um, it isn't just something that happens. Um, and it does take a lot of thought, a lot of planning, a lot of manpower. Um, so very quickly those individuals say, oh, we can't manage this going forward, so is this something you guys can do? And then that starts the conversation on that side of things. Um, and that typically is what happens every time I've ever seen somebody not go rogue, but you know, decide to kind of do their own training and then um, quickly realize this is a lot more than I thought it was gonna be and is this something you guys can kind of help us with? So that's an interesting you know, point to make is kind of finding the value kind of in a roundabout way. Um, because if people feel the pain themselves and they say, oh, we, we have a learning development team, maybe they can do it. And then when you take it on for them, they're right now, they're internal champions. They are now value, valuing what you do, they're bought in, and now they're gonna help push you forward. Um, so yeah, I would say that that's probably something I actually have seen quite often. That's great. I, I imagine because working in a variety of quickly growing startups, it's often, from what I've noticed, it's often the other teams that are seeing mm -hmm. the need for it first and coming to the HR team and saying, hey, I'd really love to roll this out um, and, and maybe not getting by it, right? And so if they're able to, to say, let me do a lightweight version and, and then I can show you how valuable this is to our team. Um, and of course, if you have a robust HR team, you probably won't need to do that, but depending on the company size. Yeah. Uh, as you mentioned before a little bit about ROI. Mm -hmm. and being able to measure that ROI. Um, how do you measure engagement for your learning development programs? And uh, if you're just starting out, how can you benchmark that? Yeah, so um, the engagement piece, you know, you can, do, you can do engagement surveys and that kind of stuff if you want to. Um, you can do homegrown ones, you can partner um, with companies that do the engagement surveys. Um, 
But the way that I've measured in the past is really with a platform, um, you know, number of clicks, number of people going in and accessing content, um, number of individuals coming to webinars. So with somebody starting out the first time, you would, you would want to benchmark the first webinar from the webinar series or the first lunch and learn from the lunch and learn series, whatever that might be, and just see, you know, the growth that it takes place. So maybe the first webinar, you know, you had 12 out of the 75 people you invited, but then people start talking and you put out the recorded webinar and now you have more people coming. So that is one way. Um, also, just speaking about engagement with the content itself, even if it's a webinar, putting together a webinar that has uh, poll questions during it or um, you know, something that you have to engage with as a learner during the webinar or lunch and learn. Um, that's another way you can easily measure that. A lot of the webinar platforms allow you to do that and then you can track that data and see, you know, who's listening. Because even though they're on the webinar, it doesn't mean that they're actually looking at it or watching it. So, um, so I think that using those tools is a, is a good way to do it. Um, and then if you have an LMS, you can track all of that as well. Um, but I do think a lot of the, the, the knowing that engagement is happening is going to come from if the learning is taking place or not. So um, if people aren't learning, then they're clearly not engaging and you're probably not creating content that is engaging. And so that's where then you have to go into the evaluation phase and say, this is not working. You know, the sales team isn't getting where I want them to or the support team is still, you know, not as effective as they were before or whatever, um, then that's when you kind of go back to the drawing board and say, look, this is the program we put out. What was good about it? What wasn't good about it? Um, what would you have liked to have seen? And do a true evaluation on that um, as far as the engagement goes. So can you tell me more about what you would expect to see um, from an early program with a very, very small budget? Like you mentioned earlier, if it takes it wouldn't take six months to roll out a massive university program like, like for your company. What would be some realistic metrics that and somebody starting out, building out a program uh, would be able to hit? And what type of budget do you think that they would need to have at that stage? Yeah, so I mean, I think you can go as small as, you know, you can go as small as no budget, to be honest with you. Um, and that you can easily put together a, okay, I'm gonna give you a for instance, this, at a company, a mortgage company that I worked at and built out a learning program, we were able to put together a year long lunch and learn series with one of the internal products um, that we, within a week, we had um, all of the topics each month. We had all the speakers. We had the speakers bought in and ready to do each month. I had the dates picked out. I had the invite sent out to everybody. And then every new person um, that came into the company got that put onto their calendar. So, and that was with, I mean, that was, that took me no money at all because I had my SMEs doing it. Um, they were fully bought in. We were using the webinar platform of the company. Some of it was in person. I just created the, um, you know, like the intro and outro stuff. I kind of presented and then they took it from there. So, um, and that I'll be honest with you, that had a huge impact and they're still using it today. They still do lunch and learns. They still have that, you know, monthly lunch and learn series where people come at noon, they bring their lunch and you learn something. So um, you can, it can be as easy as that. And that can be really, really impactful because you get people in a space, you're, you're talking, it was very informal. 
um, and you're learning a lot about things that you didn't before. Um, so I think that, you know, it can be as, as quick as a couple weeks just getting people to buy in. You know, the key again is going to be making sure that you do have champions though. You have people that value what you're doing and you have people that are willing to, to put the time in um, to help you kind of make that successful. Um, so to me, and one thing I don't think I touched on enough in this, in this um, presentation is the relationships that you build as a learning development professional within the organization is gold because without those, you really will be doing it on your own. And without anybody else, you will need more budget and you will need to do more. So building really strong relationships and, um, you know, making sure that you're kind of doing that from the beginning is huge. That is one thing that has saved me in so many different areas. That's fantastic. And building those relationships internally, would you also recommend people, you mentioned earlier, those resources that are available to you and leveraging your LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. How can you get uh, started building relationships outside of the organization to learn more about what other companies are working on? Yeah, so I actually, um, uh, it depends. So there's a couple different ways. If you are um, a little bit of a bigger company or if you have VCs, the thing that I always do is I will reach out to the venture capital firm and I will say, hey, can you give me a list of all the different companies in your portfolio that have learning and development? Then what I typically will do there is I reach out to all of the leaders in the learning and development org. And we in the past have put together a little group of learning and development um, professionals and would talk on a monthly basis. Um, so we would talk about, here, what, you know, what are the things that we're doing really well? What are the things that are kind of keeping us um, back or like the, the things that are roadblocks right now? What issues are you running into? What types of content you're creating? What tools are you using? So we actually built a subset group um, from these. And I've done that. I've now worked for three different companies that had venture capital money. And in every company, I've done that. And it's always been so exciting because we kind of connect on LinkedIn with each other as well. And then now we're connected to each other. I'm still actually um, uh, talked to several of them, even though we haven't, you know, we still kind of, uh, talk about different pieces and where we're at with stuff. So um, that's a that's a good way to do it if you are if you have that resource. If you don't, I honestly just go on to LinkedIn and I will start linking with people that are in the industry. Um, especially if you're if you're able to go onto the learning groups, learning development groups, training groups, um, instructional design, organizational development, all of those areas. Link in there and make sure you're in that group. And then you can just start linking with everybody that's in that group. Um, I've never had anybody say, no, I don't want to link with you. So um, we do that. And then we will set up a call or coffee if they're local. Um, and I've met people across the world being able to do that. I highly recommend those LinkedIn connections as well. It's been uh, very useful for us. For leaders who are looking to bring on their first learning and development hire, so somebody mm -hmm. who has experience in the space, what would you recommend they look for in terms of experience and, and what questions might they ask during that process? Yeah, so um, it depends on, it kind of depends on the program and what you're building out. Um, in the past, I typically will bring on uh, a designer, uh, an instructional designer, but I like to I like to bring on people that are multifaceted in the fact that they can train as well as design. 
um, which can be hard to find because a lot of times individuals with an instructional design mentality and background aren't really the ones that want to be up in front of an entire group of people training. But if you can find somebody that does that, I like to bring those individuals on. They understand, um, they understand the, the uh, architectural side of the content and how to build really beautiful stuff because they also understand how it is to stand in front of a learner population and what they want and what they need and the questions they ask. So they're just really well-rounded. Um, that is what I will always look for on my first hire um, is somebody that kind of has that multiple skill set. Because if you can never hire another person or if you have to wait another year, then at least you have a trainer and you have somebody that can develop content with you. Um, the types of questions that I, that I ask throughout that process, um, you know, typical background, you know, how long have you been doing it? I always look for three to five years. Um, I don't care about a master's degree, to be honest with you, because I think the experience comes from having done it. Um, and so uh, the master's piece doesn't, isn't something I typically look for. Um, but then I want to see their work. I want to see what have you put together. Um, and I always, always in the final interview will have them put together a fresh training for me um, to make sure that I understand what their process was, what methodology they used. Um, you know, how they think through different things and how they put it together. Um, I also am big, big, big on bringing in people that I want to work with every day. Um, so it's not just about the skill set. It also is, you know, how, what their value system is, um, you know, how they handle different situations, you know, what types of teammates are they? Because if you're lucky and you can build your group into a larger one, um, you know, it's very important for a well-functioning team to make sure that you have a group of individuals that are going to be respectful, even though they're all different. So that's, those are big things for me. That's really helpful. Are there any other thoughts that you'd like to add before we wrap up? Um, I don't think so. I think, well, actually maybe, you know, one of the things, another thing I don't think I touched on as much as I should have is, um, the number one thing to keep in mind as you're building out anything is your audience. So one thing that I have found, and it's actually one of the reasons I started Rebel Learn, is companies typically like to build training and programs for themselves. And what in that, that right there is going to um, kind of keep you from being as successful as you should be. So keeping in mind that you are building this for an external audience, whether it be employees or customers or whoever that is, and making sure that you are putting that user, that customer experience into full view the entire time you're developing. Um, always asking the question when you're asked something, why, 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 why? And making sure that you understand the viewpoint um, of, your, of your end user, of your customer, um, when you're putting together a program. Um, that's huge because I've seen a lot of really cool looking programs fail because missed the mark on, on the audience that that audience wasn't taken into account. Um, so I think that's probably the biggest one and really looking at, you know, whether it be an employee or a customer, what their whole learning journey looks like, you know, from start to finish. And that's a whole nother topic is, you know, the learning journeys and those learning paths and kind of what that looks like. But, um, that is, is the number one key. Just keep true to that and your program will be successful. 
we will bring you back to have that conversation of yeah. the <laughs> other side of it. Uh, where, where can our viewers find you? And um, it sounds like they should link with you on LinkedIn if they're interested in connecting. Yes, with please do. Yes, LinkedIn with me on LinkedIn. Um, and then you can find, I have a website up at rebellearnconsulting.com. Um, all my contact information is there. You can contact me via email there. You can also link with me on LinkedIn um, via my website. But please come check it out, um, the services I, I offer. And even if you want to just reach out for a 30-minute consultation, it's free. I would love to talk to anybody about anything that um, was discussed today or any of the issues or programs you're developing today. Excellent. Um, and then just a, a quick note about Marlo. So Marlo is chat-based coaching for companies looking to develop their mid-level professionals. Um, so if you're interested in learning more about what we're up to at Marlo, feel free to check us out. We're at getmarlo.com. Thank you, Andrea. I really appreciate you being here and sharing all of this information. I'd love to have you back in the future. Yeah, I would love to. This was a great time. Thank you so much, Mary. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. To learn more, check out getmarlo.com slash podcast.